Hey, welcome to the Natural Curiosity Project. I'm Steve Shepard, and we tell stories here. So once again, down the rabbit hole I go. I am reading a book right now by Barry Lopez. It's called Horizon, and it's a memoir of Lopez's travels and a sort of love letter to the planet and an appeal to humans to kind of cool our jets. Barry Lopez died in 2020, but throughout his long life as a writer, he was a passionate advocate for the natural world, but he was also a passionate advocate for humanity. Sometimes those two can conflict a little bit. At one point in the book, Lopez writes extensively about the voyages of Captain Cook aboard the HMS Resolution. The Resolution had the classic lines of the old three-masted sailing ships. Think the Cuddy Sark or maybe Jack Sparrow's Black Pearl. The Resolution was 110 feet long and had a crew of 112. And when she was moving in fair weather, she was absolutely festooned with sails. Cook sailed all over the world during the Romantic Age, the late 1700s, exploring the world, engaging with people wherever he went, and collecting plant and animal samples to satisfy the hunger for discovery among European scientists at the time. Lopez describes the resolution in exquisite detail, pointing out pieces and parts of the ship, often using words I have never heard before. I love this. Here's an example. The resolution's shallow draft permitted it to sail close to shore, and its bluff bows and the relatively light armament it carried gave it storage room enough between decks to sail long distances without being resupplied, except for water, wood, and fresh provisions. The ship was square-rigged on the main and foremasts. The mizzen was square-rigged on top with a fore-and-aft sail on a boom below, making the ship a type of bark. Fore and aft between its three masts and between its bowsprit and foremast and on booms extending from its spars, the resolution carried a variety of jib sails, trysails, spankers, and possibly above the mainsails, royals. It occasionally carried, in addition, top gallants on its fore and main masts, and above them conceivably moonrakers to wring the last bit of advantage out of a favorable wind. This once precise and vibrant vocabulary of Siemens Argo, of now opaque terms for sheets of canvas like spritsails, drivers, bonnets, and spinnakers, is today completely lost to most of us. They are sounds without reference, like the distinction between a ship's tender and its snow, or the purpose of a dog thimble in a ship's running rigging, or the position of a ship's dolphin striker. In Cook's time, Sailors were expected to know a jib sail from a studding sail in the dark and how to raise or strike each one quickly in any weather at any hour. The effective management of all of it was dazzling. Seaman's Argo, the specialized language that's unique to sailing ships. But this got me wondering, what is the difference between jargon and Argo? Well, down the dictionary rabbit hole I went, Turns out that both jargon and argo are simply language variants that are specific to a certain group of people. But that's where the similarity ends. Jargon tends to be hard to understand because it's technical or specific to an industry. But argo is difficult to grasp because oftentimes the people speaking it don't want you to understand. So argo was more like slang and might be regional or perhaps even ethnic. So back to Lopez's description of the resolution. I took the time to tease apart all those words that he used in that paragraph I just read 
And just to illustrate the beauty of language and the breathtaking complexity of a big sailing ship, I'm going to share what I learned. And even if you're not a sailor, and I certainly am not, you're going to learn a few interesting things here. So here we go. Lopez explains that the ship was a converted collier. Well, it turns out that a collier is a bulk cargo ship that carried coal. He described it as having bluff bows, which are bows that rise steeply with a broad, flat, or rounded front. He refers to the resolution as a bark, that's spelled B-A-R-Q-U-E, which is a sailing vessel with three or more masts, with all masts except for the sternmost, meaning the mast closest to the back of the vessel, square-rigged. I'll get to the names of the masts in a minute. The sternmost mast is fore and aft-rigged, which means that the sails run parallel to the keel, like what you see in modern sailboats. So, square-rigged. This is a type of rigging in which the primary driving sails, the big sheets, are suspended from horizontal spars which are perpendicular or at right angles to the keel, the front-to-back line of the vessel along which the masts are arrayed. These spars, which extend to port and starboard, left and right, from the masts are called yards, and their tips are called the yard arms. A ship rigged this way is called a square rigger. Now, the resolution had three masts, and of course, they all had distinct names. The foremast is the mast that's closest to the bow. That's the pointy end of the ship. Now, I know that any sailors who are listening are rolling their eyes right now, but not everybody knows the maritime names for the parts of a vessel, so bear with me here. I mean, can you name all the different drive wheels on a train? Probably not. Anyway, the main mast is the mast just behind the foremast. And finally, the third mast, the one closest to the stern or the rear of the vessel, is called the mizzen mast. It's the mast behind or aft of the main mast. There's also a mizzen sail, which is the lowest sail on the mizzen mast. Now, in addition to the horizontal spars that the sheets hang from, there are also booms, which extend the foot of the sail. Next, we have the bow sprit. This is a spar or a pole that extends forward from the vessel's prow. Sometimes it supports the figurehead on the ship, but it isn't there to be decorative. It's typically held down by what's called a bobstay, which is a rope or a chain that counteracts the forces from the forestays, which are the heavy lines connected from the bowsprit to the big mast up in the front of the ship that keep the foremast from pulling backwards. If you think about the amount of tension on these things when they're under full sail, frankly, it's amazing that the masts stay vertical at all. Then we have the dolphin striker. This is a small vertical or near-vertical spar that extends toward the water from the middle of the bottom of the bowsprit. It's used as a tensioning point for lines called martingales that extend from the tip of the bowsprit to the hull of the vessel. Martingales provide opposing tension for the jib sails, which I'll talk about in a minute, when they're configured in front of the foremast. Now let's talk about the sails that are the main sources of propulsion on ships like the Resolution. Each of the three masts had, starting at the bottom, the main sail, then the top sail, then the gallant, and then the royal. Royals are small sails flown directly above the gallant on square-rigged ships, but they aren't always the topmost sail. Sometimes ships were configured with square sails above the royals that were called moonrakers, 
They were also called moon sails, hope in heaven sails, and hope sails. The equivalent sail, if it's triangular, is called a skyscraper. Moonrakers are uncommon. Frankly, they were mostly used on ships that were built for speed. Now, the Resolution had a variety of other sails, including the jibs that I mentioned just a minute ago. Jibs are triangular sails that are mounted in front of the foremast. The vessel also had trisails, which are small triangular sails that are raised as an alternative to the main sails when winds are too strong for the big sheets. Trisails provide enough thrust to maintain control of the ship and to keep the bow pointed into the wind. They're sometimes called storm jibs. Now, the ship also had sails that were called spankers. On a square-rigged ship, spankers are gaff-rigged fore and aft sails configured on the mizzen mast, the rearmost mast. So, gaff-rigged. Spankers were four-sided sails with a boom at the foot or the bottom of the sail that pointed toward the back of the vessel, and a gaff, which was a spar that extended from the mast at an upward angle upon which the spanker sail was hung. The gaff was kept up by a line from its outer end up to the back of the mast. Now remember, these are fore and aft sails, which means that they aren't mounted like square-rigged sails, but they run parallel to the keel of the vessel like jibs. Spankers are also called driver, jigger, and pusher sails. And like I said, they're square, not triangular. Now, I bet you thought we were done, right? Nope. We also have something called a studding sail. A studding sail is an extra sail on a square-rigged vessel that's used in fair-weather sailing. It's mounted outside the main square sails using what are called stunsel booms that run out along the yards. They're easy to see because they stick way out on the side of the vessel when they're being used. And then we have all these miscellaneous terms, like dog thimbles. Dog thimbles are wooden pulleys that are used to raise and lower and tighten sails. The running rigging is the rigging that's used for raising and lowering and shaping and controlling the sails, as opposed to the standing rigging, which supports the mast and the bowsprit. Now, I've tried really hard here to be as descriptive as possible with all this information to paint you a picture, but I know it isn't anywhere near enough. And in fact, I'm standing here looking at a drawing of a fully rigged three-masted ship, and I'm realizing that I've probably only told you about 30% of the parts that actually have names on these things. So let me recommend that you go find a picture of a fully rigged three-masted sailing ship with everything labeled. There's a lot of them on the web. Just study it. And think about all those moving parts and all that complexity. It will really kind of take your breath away. No wonder the 110-foot resolution had 112 crew members. So where did these vessels go? Well, as exploration and trading vessels, they crossed the oceans, but they also plied the coasts. The turquoise coast of old Anatolia, the gold, ivory, and grain coasts of West Africa during the colonial era, the Dalmatian coast of the eastern Adriatic, the Barbary Coast of North Africa, Namibia's Skeleton Coast, and Nicaragua's Mosquito Coast. These are great names, right? Well, I looked into those as well, but I'm going to save that for another episode. See ya! Hey, thanks for dropping by. I'm Steve Shepard, the host of the Natural Curiosity Project, where we're committed to the idea that curiosity leads to discovery, discovery leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insight, and insight leads to understanding. 
In every episode, we explore some topic that piqued our curiosity enough to make us want to share it with you. I hope you enjoy the journey. And if you did, I'd appreciate it if you'd leave a comment over at iTunes or SoundCloud, wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you very much. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.